Ironically, like Paul, I'm, I'm unable to be there in person. Um, and like Paul, I'm using the technology of the day to try to deliver a message anyway. Um, but unlike Paul, it's COVID, not religious persecution uh, keeping me from you. So um, I am thankful that I can participate in our family Bible hour this morning. And I appreciate you being here. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, um, while you're doing that, I just wanted to say a little bit about uh, what I've learned about Thessalonica. I just did a little research, just throw some stats and kind of wrap my mind around where uh, Thessalonica is today. Um, it's, it's now known as Thessaloniki. It's the uh, second largest city in Greece. It was founded in 315 BC and has a population of a, a little over a million today. It is a thousand miles northwest of Jerusalem, which is about as far as we are from Dallas. It's a port city on the Aegean Sea which explains why it's been recognized as a economically strategic for the region, regardless of who's governed it over the years. And Thessaloniki became a, a haven for displaced Jews beginning in the 15th century during the persecution of Jews in Spain. Oddly enough, uh, the diaspora thrived during the 500-year the, the reign of the Ottoman Empire, which was a Muslim government. Um, I read that uh, they wanted to keep Jews in there to reduce the percentage of Greeks that might want to take over. But sadly, there are only a few Greek Jews left in Greece uh, following the occupation of Nazi Germany in World War II. So why am I going over First uh, Thessalonians today? I think regardless of, of whether, uh, whether we have a shifting culture and political landscape today, I'm reminded that we're always encouraged, even commanded, to maintain a biblical mindset no matter what's going on. I wanted to start this year with a message that would level set our thinking. And I like this letter for, for three reasons. Paul's predominantly talking to a, a Gentile congregation, so we can relate. Um, I like the Church of Thessalonica because I've found that the believers here at Lake Howell Bible Chapel uh, are particularly faithful, like, like Paul says they were. And I'm going to cover some high points of Paul's letter, which was written in 50 AD, but is just as applicable today. So let's look at uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It begins, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, he doesn't really cover any points, but I would like to expound a little bit about, I mean, who is Paul? Um, some new believers might want to know a little bit about who this guy is, where he's coming from. Uh, in Acts 21, Paul tells a Roman commander that I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen, which means he's a Roman citizen, which uh, plays a part in later in life when he's, uh, multiple times when he's arrested, and they realize that they uh, have arrested him in error because he's a Roman. Um, he's known by his Hebrew name, Shaul, or Saul, as we say, and he was a Pharisee devoted to defending the Jewish faith, but he actively pers persecuted Christians uh, with zeal and malice. On his way to pursue Christians in Damascus, uh, Jesus gave Paul a new plan. In Acts 9, he tells us, uh, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So that explains why he's in the church of Thessalonica in the first place. And he authored more books of the New Testament than anyone else. Let's look at uh, verse, um, verse 2. Paul says, We always thank God for all of you, remembering you in our prayers and continually recalling before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your enduring hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers who are beloved by God, we know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with great conviction just as you know we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you welcomed the message with the joy of the Holy Spirit in spite of your great suffering. So one of the high points I want to point out here is that uh, 
Paul says that he has chosen you. Uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 4 uh, reinforces that. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. Uh, but I wanted to ask, why were these sufferers in Thessalonica uh, suffering? Why, why were they believers suffering? In Acts 17, which we find a lot of the background, a lot of the context for the letter to, to, uh, the, uh, to Thessalonica is found in Acts 16 and 17 and, and 18. Um, the accusations brought by the Jews against Paul when he was there preaching uh, against Paul and his friends were of a political nature. And uh, as, as indicated in Acts 17, 7, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king named Jesus. So they elevated this to a, uh, a political issue as not just a uh, religious issue. And uh, these charges were punishable by the government. Um, it, it goes on to say that they collected bond from Jason and the others, which indicates that the government was actively acting on these charges. So these believers in Thessalonica are, are under the, um, the uh, persecution of the, not only the Jews in the area and the, and the Greeks, but the government as well. Uh, let's look at verse 7. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only did the message of the Lord ring out from you to Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone out to every place, so that we have no need to say anything more. For they themselves report what kind of welcome you gave us, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to await his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, just as our deliverer from the coming wrath. <clears throat> I think the main point Paul makes here is that we are to be an example to the other believers. There's a saying uh, that I heard um, when I was going through a particularly tough time. You find out what someone is made of when they're squeezed and you see what comes out. Well, the believers, believers of Thessalonica were, were getting squeezed and people were noticing what came out. Stories were being shared with the uh, other churches in the region about their kindness to the brethren, their courage to turn from false religions, and their faith in the living and true Son of God. While we're not under persecution ourselves like they are, the takeaway here is that our pursuit of holiness inspires others to pursue holiness. Chapter 2, you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit to you was not in vain. As you are aware, we had already endured suffering and shameful treatment in Philippi, but in the face of strong opposition, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. Uh, the high point here is that Paul is encouraging us to be bold in your testimony. God does not take your courage lightly. He provides incentive to speak the truth in the face of opposition. In Mark 5, uh, 10 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So Paul mentions this shameful treatment in Philippi. What, what exactly uh, happened there? Again, we got to look back to Acts 16. Um, Paul and, and Silvanus were beaten naked in the streets, so that explains the shameful treatment. Um, yet in a relatively short time, they moved on to Thessalonica to do it again. They, they demonstrated their boldness by not being fearful, even though they had just been beaten in the streets. Um, I'll take this moment to, to um, take a look at who is Silvanus. Uh, he's also referred to as Silas in most of the scriptures. Um, he was chosen to join Paul and Barnabas uh, to correct the teaching of some in Antioch that were teaching that circumcision was a requirement of salvation. Silas was described as a prophet and a leader from among the brothers of the Church of Jerusalem. He accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey through 
Syria, Asia, and Greece. Let's look at chapter, um, I'm sorry, verse 3. For our appeal does not arise from deceit or ulterior motives or trickery. Instead, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, not in order to please men, but God, who examines our hearts. <coughs> as you know, we never use words of flattery or any pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek praise from you or from anyone else. Although an apostle, as apostles of Christ, we had authority to demand it. On the contrary, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother cares for her children. We cared so deeply that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. That is how beloved you have become to us. Surely you recall, you recall brothers, our labor, and, our labor and toil. We worked night and day so that we would not be a burden to anyone while we pro- proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are a witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless our conduct was among you who believed. Paul is telling us here to speak as those approved by God. Um, I, I found one particular um, verse interesting. Uh, we're entrusted uh, with the gospel, not in order to please men, but God who examines our hearts. Well, why does God examine our hearts? It's because he loves us. And he wants us to have a complete and overflowing blessing of righteousness. And he wants us to reach others with that love. That can't happen if we speak to gain the approval of men. <clears throat> so Paul outlines quite a few things here that uh, to demonstrate that his ministry was authentic. Um, there were no ulterior motives or trickery. He served God, not men. Did not use flattery, not use monetary gain or praise. Uh, were gentle and cared deeply and worked not to burden. So, but why did Paul go to such lengths to, to show their motives were authentic? I, I suppose it was because he was trying to refute the claims and accusations of those non-believers against the uh, believers in Thessalonica. And he was trying to provide an example of how we are to share our faith. Uh, 11, for you know that we treated you, we treated each of you as a father treats his own children, encouraging you, comforting you, and urging you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we continually thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not only as the word of men, but as the true word of God, the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe. Paul's asking us to urge others to walk in a manner worthy of God. And I think he gives the reason uh, clearly there in the end is so that others will receive the word of God and accept it as the true word of God and not the word of men. 14, for you brothers become imitators, became imitators of the churches of God in Judea that are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen, the very things they suffered from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and drove us out as well. They are displeasing to God and hostile to all men, hindering us from telling the Gentiles how they may be saved. As a result, they continue to heap up their sin to full capacity. The utmost wrath has come upon them. Uh, Paul makes a clear point here that we are to expect persecution. The believers suffering at the hands of the Romans and the Greeks in Thessalonica was not unlike the suffering the early Christians received from the Jews in Judea. I think that if we are sharing the gospel, if we are giving a true testimony, if we are walking in a manner worthy of God, we should expect persecution. It's, it's, it's an indicator that you're doing it right. I'm not saying we have to be persecuted in everything we do and say, but um, don't, don't be surprised if someone pushes back because Jesus is the truth and it affects lives and people realize that and they don't like it. But the ones that do will expect a reward. Brothers, although we were torn away from you for 
a short time, in person, not in heart, our desire to see you face-to-face was even more intense. For we wanted to come to you. Indeed, I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan obstructed us. After all, who is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting? If it is not you yourselves in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you are indeed our glory and our joy. Paul says here to seek out other believers. Ecclesiastes 4 says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if one falls down, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can resist. And moreover, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I think what we need to understand here is that be prepared for Satan to intervene when you're trying to interact with other believers. Uh, First Peter says, be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I'm told Satan likes to uh, separate us from the pack. It's an easier target um, that when we're together uh, in twos um, and where two of us are gathered in his name, there are three which make that cord of three strands. Uh, Satan is less likely to attack. Look at chapter three, verse one. So when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left on our own in Athens. We sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that none of you would be shaken by these trials. For you know that we are destined for this. Indeed, when we are with you, we wept. We kept warning you that you would suffer persecution. And as you know, it has come to pass. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter had somehow tempted you and caused our labor to be in vain. But just now, Timothy has returned from his visit with the good news about your faith, your love, and the fond memories you have preserved, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we have been assured about you because of your faith. For now, we can go on living as long as you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we adequately thank God for you and return for our great joy over you in his presence? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking from your faith. So Paul's Paul's point here is to strengthen and encourage others in the faith. Uh, Paul sent Timothy to go find out how things were going, um, and he had a good report when he came back. But uh, let's take this moment to say, who was was Timothy? I did a little dig in there. um, Paul and Silas picked up Timotheos in Lystra, and he had a Greek father and a believing Jewish mother. Um, interestingly, before he joined Paul on his second missionary journey, um, Paul circumcised Timothy. Um, it does tell us that he did that because the local Jews knew him as a Greek, and I suppose that uh, they would prevent him, they would prevent potential converts from disqualifying his testimony over the Jewish Messiah. And he was entitled to having a Jewish mother. Um, they they believe that Timothy may even have asked him to do it to help him. <laughs> Verse 11, now may your God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone else, just as our love for you overflows, so that he may establish our hearts in blamelessness and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Paul Paul gives an example here that we are to pray for others, and he prays that the love of the saints will overflow into God's glory of holiness that even the lost can see. Chapter four. Finally, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to live in a way that is pleasing to God, just as you have received from us. This is how you already live, so you should do so all the more. 
for you know the instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For it is God's will that you should be holy. You must abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And no one should ever violate or exploit his brother in this regard, because the Lord will avenge all such acts, as we have already told you and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Anyone then who rejects this command does not reject man, but God, the very one who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is a call to pursue sexual purity. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, flee from sexual immorality. For every sin a man can commit is outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. <clears throat> the um, sins, sins are all equal uh, in light of salvation. But the Bible does say, and Paul says quite a bit about uh, sexual sin being particularly dangerous and damaging uh, to us. Um, I think because it is so, uh, it's so inherent in our lives. It's such a, a part of our procreation, and uh, it's it's especially devastating to not only individuals, but to families as well. Verse nine. Now about brotherly love, you do not need anyone to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And you are indeed showing this love to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to excel more and more and to aspire to live quietly, to attend to your own matters and to work with your own hands as we instructed you. Then you will behave properly toward outsiders without being dependent on anyone. Paul's warning us to uh, to not meddle in uh, the affairs of others, instead to be productive in what we're supposed to be doing in our, our livelihoods and profession. <clears throat> so he encourages them to increase your love for one another, live quietly, avoid gossip, and do your work diligently. 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you will not grieve like the rest who are without hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, We also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. By the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's telling us, do not grieve for the dead like those without hope. Like Jesus, Paul reassures the church that dead believers are merely asleep. We can refer to the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11 and the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader in Mark 5, as testimonies to Jesus' power, even over death. Charles Spurgeon writes, yet we may not and we must not weep as others weep. We must not always carry the red and tearful eye. We must not always take with us the face that is downcast and distressed. If we do, the world will say of us that our conduct belies our profession and our feelings are at variance with our faith. Sorry, it's starting to give out. Now about the times and seasons, we're on to chapter five. Brothers, we do not need to write to you, for you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and security, Destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, 
are not in the darkness so that this day will overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us remain awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of our hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This is a a pretty uh, important uh, point that Paul makes, that we are to be prepared for the day of the Lord. And this is this tells me that um, Paul's letter is not um, uh, a message for certain people in a certain time. Um, This is a prophecy that uh, has not been fulfilled. And I think that uh, lends us to believe that this message is meant for all believers. Um, But what, what can we say about the day of the Lord? It's a it's an intriguing thing to uh, be told that it's coming, but you don't know when. Um, I think we can uh, uh, we can look through the the points that he makes that the Thessalonian faithful are fully aware that no one knows the day of the Lord's return. Uh, that when when people are saying peace and security, that will be a sign, and it will be those people who will experience God's destruction. It will come upon them suddenly like labor pains, and none of them will escape. Now the believers will also experience the coming of the but they will not be overtaken like a thief. We'll, we'll recognize it when it comes. Uh, believers are sons of the light and day, not belonging to the night and darkness. And Paul gives us instructions. He says, do not sleep as the others do. Remain awake, remain sober, exercise faith and love and hope and salvation. It's, it's through our relationship with Jesus we obtain salvation and avoid God's wrath. He died for us that we may live with him. Verse 11, therefore encourage and build one another up just as you are already doing. But we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who work diligently among you, who preside over you in the Lord and give you instruction in love. Hold them in highest regard because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Paul's asking us to hold your church leaders in highest regard. Uh, In 1 Timothy uh, 5, elders who lead effectively are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And I think we need to have uh, particular compassion for the those who are teaching, um, uh, because of James 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one repays evil for evil. Always pursue what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not extinguish the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I think uh, that section of scripture right there is uh, a sermon in itself, and I really just wanted to summarize all of that um, this morning as uh, Paul saying, do all the good things and don't do the bad things. So let's look at number uh, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Paul says we're expect, we're to expect God to sanctify us completely. There's only one who can do it. And apart from him, we are lost. First Corinthians uh, corroborates this. Do not, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who submit to or perform homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And finally, brothers, pray for us as well. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And Paul's point here is to read this letter to all the brothers. Thank you for listening. Um, Paul covers a lot of topics here that are foundation to that are foundational to believers. I learned that Paul has a pattern of behavior. He travels to the next town. He preaches to the Jews and or Gentiles. He gets chased and, and or caught by the mobs. He travels to the next town and repeats that process. It's imperative to recognize that Paul includes one more very important step. He took the time to encourage and disciple believers even after he shared the gospel. Are we imitating Paul even a little? Now more than ever, you need to have interaction with other believers between the Sundays, even if you can't always see them in person. Here's my New Year's call to action for you. Let me encourage you that if you are not being discipled, find someone. If you're not in a small group, join one. And if you're capable of discipling, find someone. And if you're not leading a small group, start one. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year, my friends.